This time on Novell Open Audio, Aaron is out of the office, and we talk with a partner about one of Aaron's specialties. Coming up on Novell Open Audio. Welcome to Novell Open Audio, the podcast that connects the Novell user community with what's going on inside and around the Novell universe. I'm your host, Aaron Quill. And I'm Randy Goddard. And, and Randy, I got to tell you, I was listening to the recording last night, you know, so we could prove it and make sure everything sounds good. And first I got very, very irritated, but then I started <laughs> to laugh. And, and here's the reason why, you know, normally all I do is talk and, and I don't actually do a bunch of hands-on computer stuff. And here you and Dave are actually doing real work all the time. You know, when you guys aren't in the studio, you're behind keyboards, helping customers out, writing code and all this. For the first time, I'm actually out in the field teaching people about ZenWorks Orchestrator, how to actually use it. I also went through full plate spin training. And the whole time that I'm actually behind a computer doing work, you guys are back here just talking <laughs> about it. It's a reversal of roles, isn't it? Yeah. So let, who did you actually talk to? We spoke with Alistair Sutherland. He's a partner of ours. Out of the UK, right? Right. Out of Scotland. Scotland. In the UK. Okay. And he actually works for a partner that actually does this work. He actually talks about, you know, how they've gone and used ZenWorks Orchestrator and virtualization to solve some of their customer needs. Yeah, it's really it's a really interesting interview about P to V, V to V, and the management thereof. Yeah, and you know what? That's the stuff I got to play with last week with all the plate spin stuff. Cool. And I got to tell you, I was totally blown away with how cool that stuff is. We're going to have to get a dedicated interview with the plate spin guys so that we can really go over everything they do because... Uh, in my mind, it honestly was probably one of the best acquisitions Novell's ever made. I Amen. mean, their code just rocks. So let's go ahead and listen to the interview. On the phone today, David and I have Alistair Sutherland coming to us from the UK. Welcome, Alistair. Thank you very much. Now, we understand that you are with a, a partner there in the UK, a partner of Novell, Topo Consulting. Tell us a little bit about uh, what you do. Yeah, Topo Consulting is a small specialist uh, consulting house where we specialize in virtualization, implementation, and license resale. So we're helping our customers right now move from their distributed environments of x86-based servers and take them across to virtual machines. And it's not just about the migration of physical servers into being virtual machines. It's about managing that process, ensuring that they've got the capacity on their physical host. They're going to run these virtual machines. We're looking at how we can gather the life cycle of those servers and take that customer forward so that virtualization isn't just a kind of point solution. It's the new platform for them going forward. So, Alistair, you've recently become a Novell partner. What was it that brought you to Novell? We've been working with virtualization solutions for about three and a half years now uh, with a number of the, the other vendors. And we recently became aware of Novell's entrance into the virtualization marketplace. And what really grabbed our attention was the orchestration product that Novell came up with in that it would allow us to orchestrate business process on the around virtualization that would be vendor agnostic. So we, we could happily take the Novell uh, hypervisor platform or indeed any of the others, but any investment that we made into the orchestration of business process would be valued for whatever hypervisor was used. 
There are the standard themes for switching to virtual solutions, reduction in costs such as power, increasing utilization on hosts. What is it that you find is the reason your customers are switching to virtualization? We find that our customers are switching to virtualization primarily nowadays for disaster recovery and business continuity. Because the virtual machine gives us that encapsulation of an entire server, the operating system, the applications, the data, into just a simple kind of encapsulated bubble, a set of files that is now possible to enable disaster recovery plans and data protection plans that were previously just unthinkable. So what we're seeing is when customers are maybe got their physical servers that are coming to the end of, uh, they're, they're going for hardware refresh, and they're looking at their server state and saying, well, okay, firstly, when we come to hardware refresh of the server state, let's do it with a fraction of the number of servers, but at the same time, let's enable business continuity plan that was previously unthinkable. So they, may, they might have like a primary site where they're running one particular hardware vendor servers with a particular shared storage solution. But maybe at the recovery site or, or maybe a remote office, something like that, they've got a completely different server vendor, a completely different uh, shared storage architecture, maybe even NFS rather than block storage. Uh-huh. I can say, okay, that's no problem. The, the different storage architectures, the different hardware platforms at different places doesn't prevent us from introducing a, a continuity plan that's as simple as it's not running here, it's now running there, and there's, there's no impact or reconfiguration of those servers and, and uh, applications. And that proposition to our customers is the one that really blows them away. That the consolidation piece is absolutely really important and lowers the TCO. We absolutely get ROI with lower power and lower cooling costs, all those great stuff. But when we think about business continuity as well, it's just, it's where's, where's the checkbook? <laughs> and that's leveraging the virtual machine hypervisor platform where... The, the, the virtual hardware, the hardware that the OS sees in the virtual machine is the same regardless of which host it's running on. Absolutely correct. The very definition of hypervisor is that exact abstraction and that presentation of virtual hardware up to the server operating system and uh, abstracting away those unique differences in hardware. We don't really care now that the physical server is running a particular fiber host bus adapter or a particular SCSI local RAID controller. We don't want to know that. We just want to standardize virtual hardware, and that way we get that portability of the VM that we can just run it anywhere. And that's what the businesses want. They want that, I want to run this anywhere. It's a server. I've paid for it. I've licensed it. Uh, Where I want to run it, well, that's a business decision that aligns with my current business needs. And that's really got to reduce the cost of hardware upgrades. You no longer have to plan months and months in advance to ensure that your new hardware is going to be fully compatible with all of the data applications and operating systems that you're already running. I I completely agree. That's one of the things when we look at the uh, total cost of ownership. We can do some great TCO calculations before we go to virtualization. But one of the ones that's often overlooked and is a massive saving, as you point out, is those weeks of testing that are often required when you do something like move to uh, a newer version of the underlying hardware or you upgrade something in the hardware. We can now just simply take VMs, migrate them off one host onto another, upgrade that host or even replace that host and bring the VMs back again. And really in terms of what's changed from the VM's perspective, absolutely nothing. So we shouldn't really be measuring downtime and outage in terms of the physical host anymore. It's only downtime of VMs that we're concerned about. 
but uh, that, that's almost zero. I imagine even for testing, you could even clone a VM if you needed to test that on a particular platform. If there were some sort of platform change that could introduce a factor there, you could test that uh, with it being basically a clone of one that's actually in production. Absolutely. With the, so many test plans are based upon something that's running in parallel in a test bed in a sandbox and we say well we applied the patch here we applied the upgrade in this environment so you know it should work well in the live production environment and we'll have a backup plan as well if we do this in a virtualized solution you're, you're right we could take a live clone of a vm and then run our tests against that so we're going to get a sure fire decision here is yeah did it actually work mm -hmm. on what we will actually apply in production but on top of that even when we do it in production we'll have the ability to have a, a point-in-time snapshot that we can roll back to. So that's our backup plan as well. Yeah, and again, you're talking zero production downtime in doing all of that, aren't you? That's it, exactly. That's it, exactly. So we don't, we want to have minimal impact uh, on production, obviously, uh, at all times. But that virtualization solution should just enables it to being a couple of mouse clicks. With all of these virtual machines out there, I imagine just manual management of them would be somewhat cumbersome. Tell me about the Novell products that you're using to, to make this a little bit easier from your end as a Novell partner. What we're seeing is management is absolutely key. The first thing I want to point out with management is that our customers are generally looking for not a massive change in their management topology. They may have made an existing investment in management suites already from, from a number of vendors, and they'll have people trained, and they'll have their ops desk and their support personnel quite happily using them. So simply migrating physical servers into virtual machines, in the first instance, we don't normally make a massive change to that so that the existing support personnel can carry on supporting those machines as if they were physical, but they're now just happen to be virtual. Okay. But that's a kind of phase one. The phase two is, well, now we've got a proliferation of virtual machines. Themselves, we need to manage the virtual machines as entities. So maybe rather than just um, looking at things like um, you know, CPU and memory and the kind of usual application kind of performance counters, that kind of thing, which you might have an existing tool set for, we need to think about, well, what about the management of the VMs themselves and the hosts that they're running on? Okay. So that's when we start looking at virtualization management solutions. Now, that's where we see the ZOS product as a key value add here, because what we can be doing is we can be looking at the workload over an overall virtualization host, and we can be saying, well, okay, this is going to be running too many VMs right now. We've got another host over here. Let's actually provision more VMs over there, or let's power down the VMs from here and power them up elsewhere. So we can react to workloads by looking at measurement, defining thresholds that we're comfortable with ourselves for the business, and that might also be aligned with maybe times of day or even times of the month, and then implement them as business rules to say where we want things to be running and how we want them to be managed. So you've kind of got two aspects of, of where you're managing things from, whether you're managing the kind of guest operating systems and applications the same way as you always did, that's fine with existing tool sets and then the new kind of orchestrating of the the VMs and their life cycle and the best place to run them from that's where the Devel solution really rocks that creates a job-like model for entire business processes yes it does we can now look at the life cycle of the solution so if a solution is maybe uh, a three-tier application 
and we have that future application built as a life cycle with its dependencies and we can say well let's provision that let's add to that maybe we need uh, to provision more web front ends during a period maybe something like a marketing campaign you're going to get lots more hits on the front end then you can have that provisioned automatically deprovisioned and then the compute resource used elsewhere for for some other dynamic requirement and let's just imagine how difficult that would be on real hardware yeah, I, I wouldn't even want to start that project plan. <laughs> It'd be too, too tough. You mentioned being able to provision VMs from one host to another. Could you give us some specific examples maybe of how that affects your customers, some of the, the business rules that you've been creating through being able to use the Zoss product? Well, an example would be where we've monitored existing load in terms of actually application load. So we've gone into the web application loads on an Apache web server and saying, okay, this is now taking too many connections. So that's coming back into our rules engine and we're saying, okay, well, we've exceeded the threshold that we've defined in ZOS for that particular job. And we just instantiate a new job, which just fires off to the host and says, okay, provision another one of these and power it up. And when we say another one of these, we have an existing library of virtual machines that sure. we can provision from, like templates. Okay, so for example, like in, in this case where you've got this web host that you've decided, hey, you know, we're really getting pummeled on this. Hey, we had a great rollout of a new product and the website's really getting hit. Let us provision a copy of this host on another machine to help offload some of that. Uh, is it exactly? Now, the key, the key thing that we've got about this is that, again, it is vendor agnostic so that if the customer is choosing to do this, let's say on Microsoft Hyper-V, or doing it with uh, Novell Zen, or doing it with VMware, it doesn't matter because the ZOS product has this um, adapters that can interface with the native provisioning capabilities of each of those hypervisor platforms. So if the customer is using Microsoft and we want to build that rule set, that's fine. They decide, no, actually, we're, we're going to be much better off on the, on the Zen product than Coop. Let's do that, but we haven't lost that investment in the logic to do the provisioning because the adapter, in a way, the adapter is almost act, acting like another abstraction layer to, to how that's actually implemented on that particular host. That's a big wow in my book. That's awesome. That is what makes this whole thing possible, isn't it? Completely, and it's, it's what made us sit up and pay real attention because virtualization, we've got some great virtualization hypervisors out there this gives a real value add and sees how we can how we can take things to the next level. How do you deal with problems like uh, where you have uh, a ready-built VM that you need to bring up to service a change in load? How do you deal with the higher-level specifics like IP addresses, host names, DNS, that kind of thing? What we use for those scenarios is customization uh, specifications, which are essentially miniature customization scripts that are triggered when a new VM is provisioned. Now, if we just provision a new VM kind of from a, from a regular template, just a, a VM in a powered off state, then we would always end up with the same IP, the same DNS, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So we have customization specifications predefined. Now, if we were doing it, let's say, with the Microsoft Windows as our guest OS, we'd make use of Microsoft SysPrep's customization specifications. And then that way we'd be able to essentially inject a tweak into the VM at the time of power on to give it the IP that we want it to use or if we want it to use DHCP or if we want to tweak it to a particular name, then we can do so. 
and that will happen each and every time we provision a new VM. So it's a small investment up front about developing those customization scripts, but that's part of the provisioning process that we say, hey, provision a new one of these, and this is the, the customization script to supply to it. It won't be presented uh, out to the, ne- the network from that host uh, until it's ready. And is that something that can be done on the fly? Meaning, let's say you've already pre-provisioned, you've got one host up and running, you've got another one that you're ready to to bring online that already has this scripting configured for it, but then all of a sudden you realize after a day or so, hey, we need yet another host. Is it easy enough to add yet one more? It is actually entirely possible to script the provisioning of a new host. Absolutely, it is possible. There is... In terms of adding a new virtual host, there are some implementation complexities depending on which hypervisor you're choosing because each one's going to be different, whether you're provisioning a new Microsoft host or a new SUS host. Um, But absolutely, we can trigger the automated install of a host. All All the major hypervisor platforms can be scripted. The host deployment can be scripted. Wow. What we would normally do for our customer, though, is... Sure, kick off uh, a new deploy of a host, but we would generally look for in the business cycle there for some kind of a human interaction for the the checking and approval before that host then becomes part of the the, the pool of computational resource. Okay, Alistair, we've mentioned a lot of. Uh physical to virtual migration that some of your customers are doing. With the recent acquisition of Platespin by Novell, how has that eased your pain in in doing this and implementing this for your customers? Well, Platespin has been a market leader for as far back as I can remember when we got into virtualization market for doing physical to virtual migrations. But Platespin went a lot further than a lot of their competitors because they saw, well, yeah, we can migrate operating systems on physical hosts and turn them into virtual machines. But Platespin went a stage further and they said, well, actually, we can go back to physical again or we can maybe go from one type of virtual machine to another, let's say from Zen to Microsoft or back again, something like that. Right. But they've also, they're approaching it from a great perspective because they're saying, well, we're about workload management. Let's move the workload to the most appropriate place, whether that's a physical host, whether that's a virtual host, whether it's a more powerful virtual host. So it's a kind of a reevaluating where a current workload resides and where there's a better place to put that. Now, when Novell acquired Blitzburn, to us it made total sense because the workload management and workload migration capabilities of Blitzburn, to us, just fits hand in hand with what Zos can do. And if we put those two guys together, then that means a heck of a lot less job coding within Zos. We can just leverage the existing capabilities of, uh, of the Platespin toolset. Excellent. Now we give opportunities to migrate even from one hypervisor to another uh, in the sense that um, you're changing your basic hypervisor infrastructure. You can do that over time. Absolutely right, absolutely right. And you could have that, you could still have your processes defined in terms of your orchestration uh, of the platform but you could actually be moving from one hypervisor to another. Absolutely. Well, Alistair Sutherland from Topo Consulting, it's been a pleasure, and thank you for being with us. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's been great fun. 
You know, that was a great interview. Alistair was such a dynamic person to talk to and, and a great partner. And I was actually really, really happy with the questions that you and Dave had. So. <laughs> Good. It shows we're, we're thinking at least uh, part of the time. Well, that wraps it up for this version of Novell Open Audio. We'll see you guys next time. Take care. Remember that Novell Open Audio is brought to you by Novell Users International, as well as Novell Incorporated. Most of our content is directed by our listener community, so please send us your feedback by email at openaudio at novell.com or by leaving comments on our website at novell.com slash openaudio. That's it for this time. Have a good one. <laughs>